Hi everybody, this is Kim C, and you're listening to the Year of Underrated Stephen King. This is a one-woman book podcast where we plug in some literary analysis and dig into the Stephen King novels hanging out in the cheap seats. The King titles way, way, way in the back get some front row attention here on our show, and in addition to all the story talk, we also spend some time chatting with Stephen King fans slash experts who never fail to put a few inspirational logs onto our campfire. And today, my goodness, friends, what can I say? This constant reader interview is as good as it gets. Truly, it's pure treasure. My guest, Matt R., is the co-host of the King Size Pod with a previous guest of mine, Simon B., who also provided an incredible Constant Reader interview episode a few weeks back. So if you haven't heard that one yet, please make sure you have it in the queue. But for today's Constant Reader interview, Mr. Matt and I discovered we're super-duper kindred spirit King fans, and each time I get the honor and privilege of spending some time with Matt, I realize this guy is not just golden, he's platinum, folks. He is a well-rounded King fan, having digested almost everything he's put out, which is an inspiration for me. I love chatting with the King fans who have read everything. It's amazing. But in addition to being one of the best interviewers out there, he has such an eye for why King is so incredible and how it is that his work resonates so deeply with a lot of us. And some, if not most of his answers, are not only brilliant, but completely lovely and layered and thought-provoking in every way. But of course, you all know that already because you're King Size fans along with me. So please treat yourself to this wonderful Constant Reader interview with the most enjoyable, best in the West King fan and fellow podcast host, Matt Robinson from King Size. All right, everyone. It's time to introduce the most incredible guest, the most wonderful constant reader out there, and that is Matt R. from the King Size Podcast. Welcome to the Year of Underrated Stephen King, Matt. It is such a pleasure to have you. Oh, thank you so much. It's just the warmest uh, welcome, and uh, yeah, I, I really don't deserve that, but I'll, I'll gratefully accept it. So <laughs> it's just so lovely to to reconnect with you again, and um, thank you for having me on your your wonderful show. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited! I get a little nervous pony when I'm like, ah. <laughs> and me too, me too. Welcome, welcome, and for those listeners out there that haven't yet discovered the brilliance that is King Size Podcast, can you tell everybody what you and Simon are up to? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, myself and my partner in crime, Simon, we do a podcast called King Size, where we just go deep into Stephen King's works, both um, both the books, but also the adaptations, and. Sai and I have been great friends for, I mean, coming up to quarter of a century. And I think it was during the pandemic when we spoke and I said, listen, man, we spend so much time talking about Stephen King. You know what? I really, I, I think we should maybe do a podcast. And um, so I just went, well, yeah, that's, you know, you just took the words out of my mind because that's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> and let's do it. And, and from that friendship and from that shared love of Stephen King, 
it was born and i think in the pandemic where we weren't able in the uk we had three pretty stringent lockdowns and we weren't able to see each other so it was a really lovely way to be able to connect and to make sure that once a couple of times a month we had that connection together and had that time and we thought look if one or two people like it then great and um yeah we're about i don't know 20 20 odd episodes in and uh, it's just been a wonderful community of like-minded people just sharing our love of stephen king and and his multiverse oh tremendous i'm so thrilled to have you in the stephen king family in my experience it's a pretty warm bunch we're we're pretty uh lovely people thus far i haven't had any bad eggs any any Henry Bowers that have popped up. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm immensely, I'm sure they're out there, but I haven't found any yet. Yeah, likewise it is. It's just, I, I, I think, I don't know, I think King just draws people that are, I think real empaths in particular to his work. And, you know, I, I think there is that real shared, shared community and spirit and and, and real kindness um, within this community that that's really helped the listenership grow without it feeling like it's commercial or or having to push or bully people or you know it just feels like it's a really organic community which is just um yeah i totally agree with you know no bullies are welcome here and it's a lovely thing so i wanted to ask you about your very first stephen king experience how old were you when you read your first king novel yeah, so uh, I remember it really vividly. I was about 12 years old and went down to the local library. And, you know, it was just this gateway to all these books and the concept that I could just go down and borrow a book. And the fact on the front of the book was all these little stamps of people that had read the book before or borrowed it, taken it out. I thought was really cool. It was like almost people handing this baton on and this chain of connection. And I saw a load of books, The Spines, and then there was this wonderful book with this red jacket, a hardback book with this beautiful car, this red striking car. And above it, it said Christine. (laughs) And then above it, it said just King in in big letters. And I was like, oh, that looks quite cool. (laughs) And, and and that was it. That was my that was the first that was my gateway kind of drug to to King's King's world. Um, and I remember so clearly bringing it home and just immediately feeling really cool and really grown up for having that and reading it at home whilst listening to like ACDC and, you know, Metallica and Iron Maiden and just feeling like the coolest kid in the world. <laughs> I love it. You were a little metal kid. Yeah, big times. Yeah, still am. Awesome. My father raised me on scorpions. So I'm an 80s metal girl myself. Just a little bit. I have a a fondness for the hair bands. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I was nurtured on a steady diet of lots of good bands. No, that's it. That's good parenting. (laughs) My dad, dad, of course, was the King fan. So it, it all works. Did you know King was horror or were you just like, oh, this cool car, let's take Christine home? Yeah, well, I think I, I, I didn't know he was horror per se, but I knew that there was something that just felt a little bit forbidden 
about his writing a little bit grown up so again similar to uh, the library in Derry you know there was the kids section then the adult section and at that stage I you know outgrown the, the kids section and I guess young adult fiction wasn't so much of a thing back then because I'm really old. So (laughs) (laughs) back then there wasn't that kind of genre specified. So I kind of then made that little transition to the adult section of the library. And I, I just knew that he was a writer, that there were tons of his books in the library and you know that the print was quite dense the books were quite weighty and immediately for my 12 year old brain i just thought oh wow then this must be a really important writer and and that was my my kind of latching on to him and I, I never realized quite how important that picking up that one book would have meant that he was the writer that kind of bookmarked my whole life awesome so 12 and christine i love it so Are you one like our mutual friend, Jamie Stewart, who has read them all multiple times? Or have you kind of hopscotched along? Uh, Where are you kind of at with your King journey in terms of reading all that he's put out? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question because I mean, (laughs) he's so prolific, right? There's just so much stuff. And many a time I've kind of marked on the front page, you know, where they list all his books, which ones I've read. And it always surprises me that there are some that still have slipped through the net. Um, I think I've probably read, I'd say about 95% of the books that he's done. Um, there's still a couple of the Batman ones that I need to do, but the Dark Tower is one that I needed to finish off and, and really get done. So yeah, I've done the majority, but it, it's so interesting. It's like, for me, he's such a writer who is, when I'm reading his books, I'm so in the moment because he's such a vivid writer and he's so present that I am so so in that moment and in that world but interestingly when I finish that book a few months definitely a couple of years on I won't remember some of the facts or some of the characters or I won't remember them but I'll remember how the book made me feel and 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 for me he's such a emotive writer who's all about the feels so you know my my wife started her journey reading Stephen King books over the last few years and she was reading the institute the other day and she was saying oh you know what about this bit that happened and that bit and I only read it a few years ago and I'm like I I can't remember that now maybe I've just got really crap memory (laughs) you know I don't know but for me when I'm in it I remember it so clearly but when I leave it and there's some distance, I remember how I felt, but I can't remember the specifics. So rereading a lot of his books with Sai through doing King Size has just been a joy because it's been like rediscovering them and almost reading some of them for the first time again with a few more years, quite a few more years experience of life kind of, um, you know, on the dashboard. Oh, wow. That makes me smile so much. That's so <laughs> awesome. It's so awesome because I think. What we have a lot in the Stephen King community, a lot of readers gravitate toward the fact that he is this prolific author of things that freak people out. Like we've got a lot of scary stuff in there. And so they kind of focus on the horror a little bit, which is great. It's a huge part of why we like him. But I love that I'm the same. I forget a character's name like two days after I finished the book. I cannot remember what their name (laughs) was. 
I have the memory of a goldfish when it comes to <laughs> these concrete details and plot stuff. Because there's just, you know, we're just, it's, it's 2022. They're yeah. lucky we can put our pants on one leg at a time. <laughs> Come on. Like, it's, it's a struggle. But I agree and I share that exact sentiment of I remember how I felt. And I'm so glad you brought up the Institute because right as you were mentioning that one, I remembered a beautiful part in that story that moved me so much when oh, i forget the main character's name of yeah, course there we go with the same the sweet protagonist lucas maybe i don't know <laughs> <laughs> i think it's lucas but he he's hiding on the train and oh, there's this yeah. like kind man who gives him a little bit of food mm. and he kind of tosses him this bag of like a sandwich and a water bottle and and he says good luck outlaw and that made me misty-eyed and it made me just very uh, very yeah. moved and so i remember those moments and so it's really precious to hear that there's other readers out there like that that kind of string along these feelings and moments from king's mark yeah, well, it's like that moment you just shared is similar to say that moment in Firestarter that where they're in the cab and they're, you know, they're running away from the shop and the shop are chasing them down and Charlie and her dad and, and this cab driver and, you know, they think, are you literally, are you going to take us for a ride? You know, are you going to shop us to the shop? Are you going to? And um, this cab driver is just the coolest guy. And he just gives them, I think, you know, uh, a $5. And it's just, that's what he's got. It's just, or he doesn't make them pay for the fare. He just does this act of kindness. That's just like, look, and he's the first nice person that you meet in that story, you know, apart from the protagonist. And it's those little moments of human kindness that, yeah, I won't remember the overarching plot, but I will remember those details and that feel like the Institute. I just remember that there's a beautiful train escape and a train journey. And I just, I remember feeling the momentum of it. But if you ask me the specifics of it now, I, I couldn't tell you unless we were doing it for a podcast episode when we really break it down. And, and I love that because it's like that, that wonderful poet, Maya Angelou says, you know, people will forget the things that you've said. They will forget the things that you've done, but no one will forget how you made them feel. And that's King for me. He's an emotive writer and, I'm not actually a massive horror fan, which I know is is so crazy on some levels because I know, you know, if my mother and I will be like, oh, I, I'm, I'm very proud of what you're doing, darling. But, uh, oh, King, he's that horrible horror writer. <laughs> you know, there's this, so much of a perception that King is a horror writer. And for me, he's never been that. He's a character writer. He's, um, he's up there with the great american writers um and the great writers of all time because it's all about character if anything he's a suspense writer but he's a romantic writer he's uh you know that that's it he's he's so capable that he i never view him as that sometimes he dips into the horror but it's always been the human horrors that freak me out more you know jack torrance breaking his kid's arm in the shining that's the thing that scares me more than anything else because it's just what happens when a human being loses control you know or crosses that line and he dares to go there and, and that's the stuff that really really sends a shiver down my spine oh my gosh two things i feel like we're such kindred spirits i just do yeah. i just feel like you're such a kindred spirit because I, and then number two, I feel so seen. I just feel like <laughs> so seen mostly because 
I felt like such a little outcast starting this podcast because I felt like I don't belong here. I don't really like horror like the king buffs do. I'm a little fraidy cat. King makes me very brave, of course. Like <laughs> yeah. I get I get a little braver because of King's beautiful writing, but Oh, I love that. That's great. I love that. I'm, you know, I, I am a Freddy cat. I, I, horror is difficult for me. I'm an anxious yeah. person. I always have been. And so I love the fact that there are more of us out there that recognize the brilliance of this guy that goes beyond the horror genre. And that's, I think, what my message is and what I hope to do on this podcast is to reach non-King readers, but also huge fans of King to say, it's so much more than that. Like, it's yeah. so much more than, yes, we all love it and we all love The Shining and we all love, but it's like, it's more than just the freak out. Like, do you know yeah. really why you love this? Do you really understand why it's yeah. great? Because there are some people who could, yeah. So I, I'm just so happy to hear that this community isn't just people who are obsessed with the horror genre but really recognize that this is one of the greatest living novelists that we'll see in our lifetime. Yeah, I, I totally hear you. And, and I, I relate really to the imposter syndrome in that respect. There's times when I'm like, well, you know, I run along with Sai, a Stephen King podcast. And, you know, a lot of our fans, you know, not, not fans, a lot of our listeners and, and, and followers, they are so well versed in horror and the horror universe and that genre as is Sai. I mean, he's just a, a genius across all of that. And sometimes I go, well, oh, I'm, that's, I'm not kind of, that's not my thing as much. And there's that knee jerk reaction of, Oh gosh, Oh God, am I, am I in the wrong place? Am I faking this? And actually it's like, no, 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 no. The more I realize I connect with people, but above all the connection I have with King is as a universal writer of, of human truths and human beings with all their flaws and all their darknesses. And, you know, that's why for me, you know, if I was saying, well, yeah, you've got your Donna Tarts, you've got your uh, Jonathan Franzens, you've got your um, Scott Fitzgeralds, your Hemingways, you know, yeah, King for me sits easily, easily at, at that table, you know, if probably at the head of the table for me, for sure. Oh, so well said. <laughs> I'm just clasping my, my heart with both hands because that is... I'm so moved by that. Couldn't agree more. I could not agree more. I also think he he's well deserving at that table. Yeah. And you can kick Hemingway out and give King two chairs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. It's interesting. It's with Hemingway. I remember when I was when I was younger reading Hemingway, and I was just like, oh my gosh, this guy's so amazing. I remember reading The Sun Also Rises, Fiesta, and you know he just was so you know so much drinking and so yeah. much so much masculinity and so much seizing the day and interestingly reading him later on in my life I don't feel that connection I'm kind of like mm, actually a lot of this is quite toxic and it's a lot of it is bravado and a lot of what he's writing about just not even to the writing but what he's writing about is kind of at odds exactly where I am now as a father of two daughters and Whereas for King, when I read King later in my life, it makes even more sense. It, it's, it's longevity far surpasses, yeah, others. Totally. I'm so glad you realized that because so many yeah. young men think that 
Hemingway is just the cat's pajamas, which I respect his style. This is just a tiny tangent. I, I respect Hemingway's style. He's very cool. He's a cool writer. But yeah, I, it's the misogyny for me. I can't. <laughs> it's the alcoholism and the misogyny. I'm like, I can't, bro. I can't respect this. I cannot support this. Yeah, I totally get it. And I remember at the time, you know, I was, you know, like, well, I don't know, like 13 reading uh, Fiesta. I was like, yeah, and I'm going to go to Spain and I might get involved in the bull runs and I'm going to drink like he drinks. Now, A, I'd never get involved in the bull runs because I love animals too much. B, I'd have like, you know, at that age, like I'd have like one of what he's drinking of hundreds and I'd be passed out and that would be it. But it taps into something at that young age before I think you start to, you know, kind of maybe just broaden your experiences and and what your values are. Yeah. This is why I so, so love the Constant Reader interview, because I get to really tap into this yeah. journey of time that many readers have spent with King throughout their lives and how it's changed as you've grown older. And it's just brilliant. It's just brilliant to have this history with these yeah. stories. So I'm going to segue into my next question about titles that you feel are exceptionally not great but everyone loves you might just be one who's like i don't understand why everyone loves this title i don't and then vice versa is there one where you love it and everyone else hates it i'll start with the second one because um so i absolutely love dreamcatcher i haven't read it yet so neutral so again, for me, it's all about the feels. So I, I know Dreamcatcher gets a lot of bad press and a lot of haters. I remember very, very clearly, you know, I was what in my in my 20s and my mum had just passed away. And I read that book really, really closely after uh, after her passing. And I just remember it just gave me such escapism. And it was so brilliantly silly and, yeah, had such a pace to it. And there was a real sense of fun to it. And also, obviously, this is that first kind of book that King was writing after his accident. And it was a book that, you know, he wrote longhand because he wasn't able to type things up at that time because his physicality. So it just felt it was quite unhinged and reckless and unedited. And I really loved that because it kind of reflected how I was feeling at that time. So that book will always hold a dear space for me. If when we reread it for, for King Size, you know, yeah, I, you know, we might analyze it and there might be things that work or don't work, though. I think we've always tried to hold to the idea of, look, let's just come at it as from a place of love and celebration because there's nothing more boring than just hearing, you know, two English guys just do an English lit essay on these books. It's more about the feelings, really, and how what it evokes within us. So Dreamcatcher, I love. I also love the Mr. Mercedes trilogy, and I, I really love Holly. And again, I know she's a very divisive character. And I know a lot of people just haven't responded to, to her or there's something about her that grates. I think for both people that have experience of the spectrum, of the autism spectrum, that go, that doesn't, she doesn't represent me or people that don't have experience. I mean, yeah, I, I've got quite a bit of experience. My, my son is on the very severe end of the autism spectrum. And so 
for for me it's very much you know that idea of you know i know who he is he's completely unique very different every single person on that spectrum is unique and different and I just love Holly's uniqueness and the way she views things and the fact that she sees things in a way that nobody else does. And so I'm a real fan of those books and the trilogy in particular, um, including the last one, End of Watch, that I thought was a great, satisfying end. So that's it. The, the other one's harder because I, <laughs> I mean, I'm such a bad uh, critic in some ways because I tend to, I will find something that I love in most things, but one that I hate that that everyone loves nothing that comes to mind i know there's nothing that really comes to mind because i think all of his books have got something that i just go oh yeah 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 in a strange way i i read the stand reread the stand during the pandemic and i liked it but it didn't blow me away in the way that it did when i was younger yeah, certainly there's no hate for it, but I remember going, oh, okay, it just didn't quite impact me the way where some of the books that I've read when I'm older have really impacted me on a different, deeper level. But that one just left me a little bit, oh, it's, it's great, but it's not one that I would rush to say that's one of his best books and it's often cited as one of his great ones. So that's probably the, the closest to that first part of the answer. Oh, nice choices. So cool. So rich. I love your thoughts on Holly. That's so awesome. And I'm excited that we're getting a separate novel from her next year, I think. That's exciting. Yeah, it's great. And the fact that King just feels this real affinity, as he often says, you know, his characters surprise him and he doesn't know where they're going to go. And clearly she just was so rich and full of these moments and surprises and different sides that I remember, you know, someone saying to me once, you know, we're, we're diamonds and we just show a side at a various time. It doesn't mean that we're duplicitous or we're, but we're so complex as people. We just show one side at, depending on situations, who we're with, who we're comfortable with. And and I think Holly really encapsulates that. Her thinking is very different and very unique. And I think he captures her very, very beautifully, actually, without, for me, turning the dial up to maybe some of those portrayals historically, you know, Rayman, Dustin Hoffman, all that. I, th I think it's more nuanced, actually, on especially on rereads. Oh, well said. Totally. She was a slow burn for me. I was perplexed for a while, like, oh, this this gal's still here. Okay. But now that she is really getting spotlight and I've really zeroed in and kind of focused and yeah. tried to figure out like, what's going on? Like, what is, what is he doing here at this character? And I just love what she represents. I love what she represents as, as just healing and finding yourself and being yourself and letting the world form around that and yeah it took a minute i was i was a little i was in the yeah. i wouldn't call myself a hater but i was confused i was just kind of like hmm okay but now i really really enjoy this lady and i think over time my hope is she'll kind of be water against the rock and just wear down yeah. a lot of a lot yeah. of you know cranky people and they'll be able to say okay like this is someone 
kind of beloved. This is sort of a beloved king presence. And I'm seeing that more now. And yeah, so I cheer for her now. I actually get really excited when it's a it's a Holly Gibney installment. Yeah, I, I love that water on the rock. And and I do think having that spotlight where it's just her will be will be fascinating to see that, you know, what what she brings, because I think she brings so much. I know. It's such a great time to be a King fan, let me tell you. Yeah. So I want to segue from the lovely lightness that is Holly Gibney and transition to King villains. Who are your favorite King villains and why? Oh, again, such these are such great questions because <laughs> I've just been they're they're brilliant because again, it just makes me just think it through and I've been mulling this over for quite some time. So I think I I mean I read recently for the first time actually one of my first reads of Rose Madder and Norman in that is is terrifying, you know, as as a domestic, you know, as an abuser. And I think, you know king captures that so powerfully in the same way that he captures you know bev's husband tom in it these terrifying men that exist you know then king writes about these men the shapes of men and how they think they can justify their actions so that was that was terrifying because so much arose mad for me was this woman obviously on the run from this horrific individual that you know would stop at nothing to just try and own and humiliate and hurt this woman and that was truly edge of the seat because it's so real you know we know how domestic abuse how rife it is and you know how a lot of these this violence is perpetuated by men and so that felt terrifying because it was so real in the dark tower Dandelo at the end of the Dark Tower, I remember just was so, so scary because, again, King does that thing of introducing a character and you spend some time with them. And I remember with the Dandelo character, Roland is there for quite some time before they realize that something's off and that actually they're trapped and what this figure, what this character means, he's, you know, feeding off their laughter and, you know, using that as an energy against them. And he does that so beautifully. And like Pennywise for me in it, the moment where Beverly visits the old lady. Oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> that, I don't know why I reacted so strongly. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I remember. <laughs> <laughs> right you, you get it right and I know exactly why we both reacted like that because it is the most for me it's the most terrifying of all of Pennywise's appearances both in the film the new film and in the book because he does that thing of you here it's over a few pages but you kind of get lulled into oh okay I know oh, I think something's off but maybe it isn't oh it's all right in the same way Annie Wilkes Oh, maybe Paul's landed on his, excuse the pun, landed on his feet or not. Um, But, oh, he's with this lady and she seems lovely and and maybe everything will be okay. And he lets you just kind of bathe in that and then starts to just drop in these little moments of something feels a bit off here. And why is this woman getting really angry with me about the swearing that I've written? Why is she why, why is she suddenly throwing the soup bowl across the room? Why is this old lady 
suddenly hang on she's pouring tea but that doesn't look like tea and i'm sure her eyes were a different color <gasps> those are the villains that for me just go <gasps> they're the scary ones those ones that kind of get our protagonists off balance and win their trust and then suddenly you go hang on a minute something is rotten here um and i don't know if i can escape it like bev in it you know she's suddenly in hansel and gretel's place in that in the witch's house and what if she can't escape what if her shoes are stuck to the floor that is chocolate and and she can't move and that's that moment you know in a dream where you're trying to run away from something that you're scared of and you know that thing where you can't run in dreams and you're like going oh my god I, I, and, and you lose the power to run i've had those dreams so often and more often than not wake up you're Oh, and I can remember the physical feel of that. And I think his villains at their best capture that. Great choices. I think every one that you mentioned gave me the idea of the slow knife that cuts the deepest. <laughs> like yes. totally the knife that you don't really see until it's too late and it's already twisting in you. <laughs> and uh, yeah, like that's how Annie Wilkes is for me. And Norman Daniels is just this bombastic, over the top terror fest, but he's disguised as the cop, like the yeah. do-gooder, the, the I'm here to help. And that is terrifying. That is just terrifying. Yeah, absolutely. The, the fact that, you know, that ring that <clears throat> Norman Daniels wears, you know, with, you know, the values that he's meant to represent. And it's often those that ring that leaves its imprints on Rosie and, and some of those characters. And that's the terrifying thing. I think he does those villains. So and I, th I think, you know, you could look at in in the mist, you know, the individual uh, who who's you know, that religious zealot that they're oh, stuck Mrs. in. Oh, Carmody. Carmody, yeah. And, you know, I mean, for me, it's like there's nothing terif more terrifying than you're stuck in claustrophobic close quarters with uh, a religious zealot like that who is, you know, using her religion as a weapon of mass destruction. And, you know, again, I take my chances outside with the creatures because, again... <laughs> Yeah, you know, they're just doing what they do. And even like Pennywise, I, there's moments where it's like, even he is not just an all and all out villain because he still is a creature that has to feed. And I think I've heard an interview with King saying that, you know, we got to eat, right? Fish got to swim, bird got to fly. We got to, you know, this, this, to survive, he has to eat. Now, his diet is questionable. And, <laughs> <laughs> you know, how he eats and the way he does it. But for him, I mean, I guess, you know, you could go, well, is that any different from, say, someone, you know, ripping off a chicken leg or a chicken breast and just, you know, diving in there with some spare ribs? And you go, that's just so even his villains there's the uh, there's a complexity to them annie wilkes this absence of being who just has been hurt so deeply and cannot in her head comprehend what love is and should be but it knows she's desperate for it and this sense of injustice that she has there's moments where even with the villains you're going yeah you know when annie kicks off at paul 
but it's just not right. You're cheating. You can't cheat your audience. And I'm there going, yeah, damn right. We've all been there where we've been cheated, you know, end of lost. I, I put that to the, um, <laughs> to the jury. <laughs> I spent a hundred hours of my life watching lost. And then at the end, I'm like, what? You're telling me that's, that's how it ends. Oh, come on. And I felt so angry and cheated. So I get that. So there's even moments with his villains. You go, oh, yeah. You know, not not with all of them, but with, you know, with the majority of them. And you do have those outliers like Norman and Tom that you just go, that's just, I hope you really endure horrible ways of death, which they then both do, which is very satisfying. (laughs) Aren't they? Aren't they great? Yeah. (laughs) I was all smiles when I got to the end of those two. Yeah, exactly. King makes me quite vengeful at the end. I'm quite bloodthirsty at the end yeah. of some of these terrible villains. Well, too right, because I think he puts us through so much. I mean, you know, there's passages in It, having recently really studied that with Sai. You know, the passages with Tom and Bev, they're not done in a page or two. He really spends time in that horrible space. So consequently, you're really invested in wanting to get vengeance. And I think that's such a powerful thing he does because you, you, you care about these characters, whether you care that they survive or triumph or you care that they suffer badly for what they've put others through. Um, so, yeah, the bloodlust is high with King, right? <laughs> <laughs> you there we'll have to talk at a later time about how unfair the ending for big jim runny was in under the dome because that guy that guy was 1200 pages of hell and i was very unsatisfied at the end (laughs) (laughs) he needed much more pain and suffering for for my taste yeah, I think that was that felt like a bit of a rush job, didn't it? It was like he's gonna, all right, I'm done with this one now. I'm gonna move on. Right? I was like, no, 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 Steve, 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 you don't get to torture me for 1,200 pages and he just, you know skips on out of here. That one, I I still have a little bit of a grudge about. So I channel that. And I think about how awesome Norman Daniels' fate was, because that was kick-ass. Oh, it truly was. It truly was. You know, it was brilliant. And I, I was thinking even Tom goes fairly quickly in it, but then he has stared into the deadlights and you go, well, he has seen what pure horror and evil is. And that's the last thing that he will remember. So in a way, I'm like, yeah, okay, good. <laughs> You are also in good company with not being very happy with the end of Lost. I will join you there. So my my podcast buddy, Matt from Tower Junkies, Lost is his favorite show. And so mm. we've had a we've had a a fireside chat once or twice about <laughs> our disagreements. I too felt very cheated. I know, I because I loved that show. I loved it so much. I remember watching it with my wife when, we, you know, like early in our relationship, and it was just amazing. And those first few seasons, and 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 Sawyer was so cool, and the others, and I loved it. And then it just was the sense of I know a few seasons in, I was like, the writers don't know where they're going with this. It just seems yep. really aimless, and I could tell that they just didn't know where they were going with it. And that's what it makes it so different from the king books because generally even though he doesn't outline it and go this is the ending and this is the 
his characters do change and move and, and they're fluid and surprise him. There's very few books that I just go, oh, you had no idea where you're going with this. You know, I, I sense that there's very few of them. But uh, yeah, Lost was just towards the end. And I, I did feel a little cheated. I Again, I love the time I had watching that show for the most part. But then when you've invested so much, you go, well, I want to know where we're heading to. Got skin in the game here. Couldn't agree more. I think that the writers did a huge disservice to all the fans. That is the one show that I actually talk about in my classroom quite a bit with, yeah, with my students and their stories. And I was like, don't you dare be a lost writer. Don't you dare just string me along and don't pay out. Don't be that slot machine that takes my money. You better pay me out. It doesn't have to be a lot, but you better pay out a little bit. I love it. You go full Annie Wilkes on them, right? <laughs> I do a little bit holding the ax. Like yeah, you, yeah, come yeah, on yeah. guys. <laughs> I try to to not be Annie too much. Yeah, yeah. But a bit of Annie now and then is uh that's no bad thing. <laughs> this caca duty draft. Get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. We have talked a little bit about some villains. You have such a stellar array of some favorites. And we've talked about Miss Holly as being someone you're very fond of. So my next question is, if you had the ability to take a character that you love within the King catalog and give them either a sequel or a prequel or just a sort of standout spotlight. And you could do that with any King character you want. Who would it be? I get it. It's such a, it's such a brilliant question. It's just so thought provoking. And um, I think, yeah, for me, for this one, I mean, I really loved Rose the Hat from Dr. Sleep. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Okay. I really loved both especially how King wrote her, obviously, but then I thought how she was portrayed in, in the film. Uh, she was just spot on. I think she's such a cool character. And again, you know, they're these modern day vampires feeding off, you know, this theme that King often has of characters and villains feeding off, you know, pain of others or grief or sadness. And again, you know, She's so complex because we see the extremities of when people within her tribe start to cycle and die and, and the pain she feels. And on some levels, she's this creature that in order to get the, the best food that she can has to put people through extreme pain. So in Dr. Sleep, you know, where the scene with the baseball kid, you know, which is, again, a real painful painful bit to read and he doesn't pull his punches there but again if you're looking at it from one angle you go well she has to do that to be able to survive and look after her tribe and i think she's just she's just was a very very cool character and she was one of those characters i'm like yeah i could easily spend more time with you i'd love to see a sequel to charlie from firestarter you and Cy both, both. yeah, so you know, I, I really, yeah, I mean, hearing that amazing interview you did with Cy, and, and which, I, which I loved so much, and I was like, yeah, punch in the air for that one, because <laughs> absolutely, you know, I'd love to see where she's at. So much of King's books are that transition from childhood to adulthood, and 
can you ever shake off the shackles of, of trauma and childhood? Those scars that you carry, do they define you? Do they imprison you? Do they set you free? And Charlie is just so fascinating. You know, when we leave her and she's lost her dad and oh, she's lost her mom, she, she's an orphan. And, you know, the people are still sniffing around to see what's going on here. And we see her go to the newspaper, but I'd love to know where she's at now. What has she done with those powers? And, you know, I thought he was really brave, actually, when he resurrected, you know, from The Shining to Dr. Sleep to really focus on Danny and to bring Danny back and go, look, hang on, I think there's still a bit of a story to be told. So I, I don't know, I think that could fit really nicely alongside that. Um, And it may be at this stage where he's just, I get this sense that King is just going, look, I got nothing to prove. I'm just going to do what I like when I like, because absolutely might be this final stage. So I'm just going to do what I want. I'd love to see a, a bit more Charlie. Yeah. Plus one there, plus one. I think just ending a novel with a little orphan girl at nine years old, like, oh, come on, we got it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Great choice on Rose the Hat. So cool. I always forget about her mostly because I shouldn't because she's terrific. But I think the true not in the Doctor Sleep novel were a hit or miss, like a couple of them were a little hokey or i didn't like others as much as i loved rose and crow daddy yeah those were the the cool true not people yeah but i love 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 uh immortal stuff i'm such like a vampire immortal nerd girl so i remember there is a very small sprinkles of king giving the reader this background info of rose being really old like during the roman empire or something crazy and i was like oh my god wow yeah let's take us back yeah absolutely take us back there let's see that yeah exactly and again like you know what they're doing i think they're bringing out a prequel to you know pennywise you know they're going back to Derry, the early years i think hbo were doing a series on it because again you've got this king writes so many characters that have been immortal and have been there for, through the ages you go well there's a wealth of material i'd love to see you know some of those backstories a bit more oh man i think that this is just me being a fiction teacher right now i'll just get like a an idea that'll pop into my head there should be a Rose the Hat in medieval times and Randall Flag is like, you know, her not mentor, but yeah, they're together hanging out. Rose and Randall, <laughs> the two are Exactly. He is timeless, isn't he? And he just appears through so many of those books. And I mean, who knows? I mean, maybe, you know, in the future, it's like maybe that's something that King's family or King's sons, uh, you know, m- might write about, you know, again, or, you know, there's, there's so many stories there that exist as a whole but also that's why i think fan fiction is so great and i think anyone that is just you know inspired to just take a story and run with it and write it and do their twist on it and do their you know it's it's amazing you know in full respect to that because these are stories that deserve to be told and 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 just have their roots in king but then they just spread and spread oh i love that you said that because i always tell my students like 
that's the carrot you follow. Yeah. That's the spark when you watch a show or you watch a film or read a book and you have to keep it going in your mind yeah. and you want to keep that story alive or that character alive. And so I'm a, I love fan fiction because it helps my students. It helps people who want to write be creative and it helps that process. So I'm a huge fan. I'm so glad you yeah, mentioned big it. time. So I'm going to drop this one at your feet. This is a huge question. As I was making my way into the world of Stephen King, I was quite older. I was not an adolescent. I was 26. So I was seasoned. And all of a sudden, I'm hopscotching around these King novels, completely in love, couldn't be more in love with what I'm reading. I'm just falling in love with the writing of this man. And I'm talking to people, I'm immersing myself, and they're like, oh, have you read The Dark Tower? <laughs> and I was like, what's that? <laughs> and so everybody just gets this look in their eye like, oh gosh. So this is what I realized, a very loaded question, is to ask King fans, what are your thoughts about The Dark Tower? Yeah, and you know, it's such an important question because, you know, any King fan knows it's almost his you know, fate, it's his work, really, isn't it? He's gone on record as saying that that is, you know, his greatest life's achievement. And car is a wheel, all things come back to the tower. So, yes, I avoided it for a long time because, again, I'm not a massive fan of, you know, fantasy stuff. So, you know, and in my head, I was like, oh, Dark Tower, that's the stuff with probably dragons and wizards. I mean, one of them's called Wizard and Glass. So I just that that's just not much, you know, as again, I'm very much a character driven reader. So I, I left it really, really way, way back. I, it just didn't really grab me. And then I just thought, oh, hang on a minute, you know, I, I just heard King talk so much about it and saw so many references in other books. And I thought, look, you know, let, let me see, let me get involved. So I read The Gunslinger and I thought it was so boring. And I, yeah. I, oh God, I really, I really struggled to read it. I read it. And, you know, it's like that thing of I love King so much. I was like, oh, but I, I'm sure it's not you. It's me. I'm clearly going through a stage in my life that, you know, I need to ask myself some questions. You know, what was going on with me? But I just I just it left me cold. And I then went back to it about probably only five years, only five years ago. And this time I listened to the audiobook of it. And I'd got into running just, you know, for my mental health and physical health. And so I was doing lots of running and, um, you know, I used to listen to a lot of podcasts and then, then it went into audiobooks. So I listened to the audiobook of the gunslinger and, and I really liked it. I liked the sparseness of the prose. I liked the muscularity. And I love the fact that I was like, I've read by this stage, you know, 50, 60 of King's books. But if you put that in front of me and said, which author is this as a blind read test? Well, I mean, yeah, I, I would have gone, well, I, this isn't King. No way. It just was so unlike anything I'd read of his before. So I did that. And then I read The Drawing of the Three. Oh, so good. 
absolutely one of the greatest books I've ever read. What he's playing with, and I mean, that whole chapter where he first goes into Eddie's head, you know, and you're going, he is describing Roland as a gunslinger, describing to us what this, an aeroplane looks and feels like, but he's never seen these things. He doesn't know what they are. He hasn't got the language for it. But then the author has to show him struggling with that, but still be able to capture it so we as the reader can connect to it. So, I mean, oh, you're, gosh, you know, I know I'm, I'm, I'm singing to the choir here, you know, because you, you, this is what you teach. You know all about this is the layers he's working on of just as an author. I'm like blowing my mind, let alone from a character point of view. And the drawing of the three, I was like, oh, my gosh. Now, I've heard uh, on the King cast, which I love, you know, they have a really, really great argument about one of them goes, start with drawing of the three first. Yeah, go there and then do the gunslinger, but start there. And then the other dude, Eric's like, no, 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 you got to start from the beginning. If you're going to do it, you start with the gunslinger. If you can't handle that, go big or go home. And I get both sides. So anyway, from that point on, I just really devoured them as a mix of reading and listening to the audiobooks and the and the audiobooks especially the middle three are phenomenal and i think for me the last three get a little messy but it contains two of his greatest books and two of the greatest books i think ever written which are drawing of the three and wizard and glass wizard and glass i just i was so moved and so devastated by that book, I think. And I know, I think I'm right in saying when we last spoke, you were just about to read that. And I think I remember being very presumptuous going, I think you're going to love it. So did you? Did you love it? Oh, my gosh. OK, so I'm not done yet because I've just been I've been partying all summer. It's terrible. But um, <laughs> but I'm halfway in and I oh, my God, my heart is just it's liquefied is what it is. Yeah. Like I am enjoying it so much. I cannot, I'm so glad you mentioned about King disappearing for you in terms of author recognition with the gunslinger, because that's kind of how I feel with wizard and glass. I was like, where did King go? I'm just in this amazing, I'm in this love story and I am so into it. Yeah. I am so into this love story and this very strange memory place this this early roland and the quartet is far away i don't know where yeah. we are but there's just there's this guy named thorin and then there's this lovely he's just smitten kitten for it oh it's beautiful like, yeah yeah oh, and i've always cut my teeth on like the romantic genre i always have a soft spot for it because i was just a little swoony teenager i don't know uh i had all the crushes of 90s boys all over <laughs> posters of, of teen beat and tiger bop all over my or whatever they are i think i mixed that up but you know i was such a swoony little teenage girl and this is i've i've i can't even finish my sentence because i <laughs> i'm having such a girly moment thinking about how much i'm enjoying wizard and glass so i'm so um, happy that's wicked i i really understand the love that people have when they yeah. talk about wizard and glass so i'm so excited i'm almost i'm like i think almost three quarters in so i'll finish it soon but i'm loving beautiful, it beautiful beautiful well again i won't say too much but it just is after that you know the last three books of the dark tower 
is that it felt like there was a little bit of a gear shift and you know obviously kind of some of that was post you know the accident and everything which you know i mean unbelievable what king went through and, and you know it's gonna have an impact of course it is um you know nearly died but wizard and glass is just again when people want to pigeonhole king and i i would say well you want to read one of the greatest love stories of all time one of the greatest love stories up there with you know jane austen emily bronte you name it there you go read this book you know you want to read 11 22 63 yeah can king write romance absolutely yes. can he write the tenderness can he write the coming of age and wizard and glass is it's such a vast book but it's so beautifully structured and the investment that you have in the young roland and you know kind of his his group and and his brothers that he's with it's yeah, I just remember just it captured me. And I've, I've read that a couple of times and listened to the audio. The audiobook again is fantastic with it. And it's beautiful sometimes, I think, doing the audiobooks because you realize how powerful King's writing is, how when you speak it aloud in the hands of a great, great voiceover artist, it's just wonderful. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, I'm listening to it at the moment, Stephen Weber doing it, and it's just oh my gosh, I mean, it's it's astonishing. It's made me revisit it in ways I never imagined through hearing someone say King's prose like that and his dialogue. And it's the same with Wizard and Glass. So I, I love The Dark Tower. I think it's really, really important. And I can see why it's almost the spine to which a lot of his books offshoot from and come back to yeah it's it's an important a really important piece of work oh well said i am feeling that more and more the further i go and it's a great privilege because i think i too share that sentiment i don't feel people should completely omit the gunslinger but i think you should start with the last chapter <laughs> i think you should start with the last chapter when he has his palaver with the man in black yep yep he gets the tarot card reading because that was the coolest chapter that was the coolest book that was when i was on board when yeah. he finally like gets this crazy acid trip vision of what the dark tower is and it melted my brain but i think people should start there so <laughs> i think you should start with the last book then go to drawing the three but now that i'm in wizard and glass i am just like clutching my heart right now thinking about when I found out that Will Dearborn was actually Roland, I was freaking yeah. out. I was like, you <laughs> beautiful man. Oh my God. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, that yeah. was a precious meat cute. I am just very swoony over what's going on. The richness of this world. And you're so in it, aren't you? You're oh my so God. In that. Yeah. You're just, yeah. And, and that's it. He just captures that grabs you and takes you to that vividness and and i you know i love the fact you know looking back on it now that he opens with the gunslinger because it's just again this writer that goes I, i'm not gonna do what is expected of me you know and i'm gonna start with something really impenetrable which you know i don't think i'm alone in thinking that you know it is it's a tough read yeah. and uh but that's the kind of uncompromising writer he is it's you know i know we've spoken before about loving radiohead and from a music point of view you know 
you know, they write the most beautiful music in the world, but they also write stuff that's really challenging. And, oh, yeah. you know, they're not afraid to open with that. And then maybe five songs in, you go, oh, well, that's the one that probably the record company is going to open with that one. <laughs> so I, I, I love the bravery again that he, he has and the kind of, well, F you, this is this is it. This is this is how I'm going to do this one. Totally. Yeah, I can I can get on board with that for sure. He really is very much a a balls to the wall kind of guy in terms of like, take it or leave it. And if, yeah. if you want to get to the good stuff, you got to slog through the mud. And if you don't want to slog through the mud, I don't care. And that's pretty, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's pretty badass. So I'm taking my time with Wizard and Glass, which I feel terrible about because, you know, usually I try and stay on a schedule and like. Yeah, yeah. But hey, you've been partying, like you said, you just been you've been out drinking cocktails and living the life and, you know, and, and listen, why not? <laughs> <laughs> Correct, sir. Correct. Correct. Too right. I've been living the life, but I've also been very swoony over Wizard and Glass where I'll like reread yeah. a page because it was so good. Or yeah, yeah. when I figured out that Roland was actually Will Dearborn and he had this date with Susan and I was like, wait, 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 wait. And then I went back and reread the whole scene so I could capture it like yeah, every minute detail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm swoony. And I don't know if a King book has made me feel like that before. Yeah which is pretty incredible. But anyway, I'm, as you can hear, I am ready to talk about Wizarding Glass. I am bursting, so. Well, I can't wait to hear your episode on it. I'm super excited. Yeah, great. I thought you'd, um, yeah, I thought you'd love it. <laughs> Dead on. Absolutely, 100%. You nailed it. So I'm so glad you're a Dark Tower fan. I, too, am, am, am growing into a huge fan more and more. So when it comes to discussing books with non-King readers, because there's a lot of them out there. Yeah, unbelievable. I know, <laughs> I know. And as you mentioned, there's always that preconceived ideal. Oh, that scary book writer. Oh, he writes yeah. scary books. I don't want to read that. I'm going to be scared. I hear that a lot mm. when I talk to yeah. people in, in other book clubs and friends of mine. So what do you recommend to friends of yours or people who you would maybe like to take on the king journey but they are either just anti-horror or they're really snobby like all my grad school friends and they don't want a mainstream <laughs> popular author what would be your sales pitch for a few titles they might start with to maybe see some king brilliance well so I remember a few years ago, my wife was like, look, I, I, I need to read a King book. She's like, you know, obviously <laughs> it's a big part of your life. And um, we had uh, above our bed at one stage, this shelf that we'd had built that had all of my Stephen King hardbacks on. So she's like, you know, at some stage, if one of those screws breaks <laughs> and that shelf comes down, we're going to be killed by Stephen King books. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, they, they weigh a ton. Right. So. If I'm going to die by his hand, then at least let me, I, I want to know, you know, what kind of author he is. And she's not, you know, uh, into horror. Uh, yeah, as I am, not particularly. But, you know, she's like, I don't want that. So so what do I start with? So, yeah, it's a big deal because obviously, you know, your person you love that you share your life with, you want them to, you got to get this one right. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you can't be doing 
uh, a recommendation and then you're watching you know because she's she'd read it in bed and i'd be watching her to see her reaction to the book i recommended she's like just stop stop watching me i'm like I just, are you liking it are you like she's like i like it a lot better if you stop just staring at me <laughs> <laughs> which i'm like okay fair enough so the one that i recommended in a heartbeat was 11 63 and again i'd read that many years ago and she's like so pitch it to me what's it about I'm like so I can't I I don't know I can't remember but it involves time travel and romance and suspense and it's filled with the what if what if as King talks about what if you could go back and do that and I think for so many of us we live our lives just going you know what if I could go back and change this moment what would the butterfly effect be where would I be now if I could you know I'm I'm sure I'm not alone. And I dream about that going back. And what if I could have done this? What if? And it just is the perfect book to address that. It's got this beautiful, unsentimental, uncloying, but gorgeous love story, uh, you know, written in full Technicolor. And it's an incredible page turner. So that was the first recommendation that I did. And I think... If I was recommending King, I would say to people that weren't really wanting, you know, the traditional, the horror stuff. I I mean, Billy Summers, I think, is truly, truly a work of art. Have you, have you, not yet? Not Not yet. But my dad, I had this great talk with my dad, who's such a crime fan. And my dad, bless him, he's my best friend. I love my dad to pieces. He just read Do McKee for me because I was like, Dad, please. And he liked it, but he's like, This is pretty wild. And so he found Billy Summers because he found out it was like a crime thriller. Mm. And so he was like, this is wonderful. Have you read it yet? And I was like, dad, no, (laughs) I haven't. But my dad said that. And so my heart is so excited. That's so cool. The fact that now it's your dad recommending to you. You got to see that's reciprocity, right? Yeah, um, couldn't believe it. That's so cool. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's, um, it's amazing. For me, again, without talking about the plot, it's a writer who's just addressing the love he has of the craft of writing. So it's a, you know, it's themes he's done before, obviously, you know, about a protagonist who's a writer, who's an author, who's a wannabe author, a pretend author, whatever you have it. But he talks about the craft and it's about how the power of storytelling can save your life, can change your life how how we can rewrite our narratives and rewrite our own stories and change the lens in which we experience and see the world through the power of storytelling so for me it was like a love letter to his craft that he has spent his life working at that has given us all so much joy and and it's just a beautiful slow burn again it's that sense of king going look, I'm going to do this at the pace that I want. And, you know, I'm not going to rush things. And there's a real turning point that doesn't happen until halfway in the book. But it's not about the plot or the structure. It's about this beautiful language that he uses throughout the book. And the characters, the characterizations are so rich and they're so flawed and, you know, so, so relatable on so many levels. 
And I think he's a, you know, I love crime writers. I love thriller writers. So immediately, you know, King's kind of movement in the last 15 years to that with the Mercedes trilogy and, you know, the outsider to a degree and Billy Summers, I think it's totally captures his powerful writing. But so, yeah, those are two immediately I would recommend. And I do, I think I struggle a lot with a lot of the adaptations of King. And I think for me, if I'm putting my marker in the sand, I think a lot of them have done more harm than good because they've perpetuated the, this idea that King is just a horror writer. And I think a lot of people might not have read King, but they might have seen, I don't know, it's the miniseries or people know that he did Shawshank, but they, you know, but it's, it's still one that probably catches people by surprise, but they, they focus, you know, so I think capturing King, on screen is really tricky, especially the horror books, because I think so much you know, fiction in general and horror fiction preys on the imagination and his level of imagination is so nuanced and deep that often in the confines and, and the um, format of, of films, I, you just have to show a lot more quicker. You haven't got that slow burn. And I do think King is a slow burn you know, writer. And a lot of the nuances just get lost, you know, because the kind of mind's eye can buy many things that the rational eye can't. So we can read his book and we can get lost in it. But when you're watching it on screen, sometimes it just, I think, simplifies what is actually really complex. So I think that builds into this idea. Oh, King, he's the horror writer. Yeah. And some of his film adaptations are you know, really quite miss. Yeah, I think it's no surprise that the best adaptations I think of King's work are the non-horror Shawshank yep. Green Mile or the format of 10 part series Absolutely. you know Mr Mercedes The Outsider where you've got space and room for things to breathe and where you can really tap into the the depth that he writes because he treats his monsters really seriously he, he he's really earnest and serious about them and that's where they're terrifying and often they're human monsters whereas on the screen sometimes you're hampered by crap cgi and especially a lot of the ones that have dated really badly yeah you know like you watch them and you go oh god that just everything that was so complex has just been ruined by one shit mask <laughs> and a really <laughs> really bad bit of makeup so a big part of my mission is to get beyond that, to say, people, look, 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 there's nothing better than when I hear someone go, oh, oh, yeah, I'm not into horror. I don't like horror writing. And I go, right, brilliant. <laughs> I'm not going to get angry about it. Not going to get my blood pressure up. Instead, it's a beautiful opportunity to go, OK, so what is it that you don't like about it? Well, I don't like this. OK, what do you like? Well, I like this. I like character. I like storytelling. I like description. I like ah. Uh, perfect well you're gonna love this guy what's his name Stephen King so good and then you hit him with with one of those books and then you know that then then it's just your playground you know you can dip into a bit of this if you don't like the horror stuff great if you're not a fan of the crime stuff great if you want the character if you want the fantasy I mean it's all there that's the beauty of it isn't it it's all there it, every genre if, if we have to kind of put it into a little box it is there Sorry, that was a really long answer to it, <laughs> but it's a, it was a great question. So, no, you fly like the eagle, you are. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, no, I am all about 
the spotlight is on my constant reader. And that was so well said, so well said. And I must ask, did your lady like 112263? Yeah, she did. That, yeah, she loved it. Loved it. So glad you could stay married. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we stayed, we stayed married. Yeah, exactly. That that could have been a real, that could have been a real moment. She loved it. Oh. And then since then, you know, done went like a knife through butter through the Mr. Mercedes trilogy, the Dead Zone, uh, the Institute. So again, you know, the real kind of, you know, the real character-driven psychological you know, uh, thrillers that he writes that have just really, really, yeah, captured her. So, uh, and I can't wait for her to read um, Billy Summers. Um, I can't wait for, for you to read that. It's, um, wow, you, you just, what he's doing, you know, there's, it's it's like he I, he's getting better and better because it's just this freedom of writing that he's got nothing to prove. He's not writing to any kind of, you know, memorandum or just get this sense of someone who's just going, here it is. This is me. Bang. And and that's beautiful. Yes. Beautifully put. Could not agree more. This man <laughs> is just aging like fine wine and the writing is getting richer and deeper and better. And I can't believe it because he's in his 70s and typically people i mean like you said he is in a competition with himself and himself alone like he is yeah. he is the king of the mountain <laughs> yes king by name king by nature it really is and yet there is that beautiful love you spoke of the love of the craft the love of storytelling like playing a musical instrument you just want to do it because it yeah. brings you joy and you know how to do it and you know how to do it well and it brings people joy and i am just so proud to be a king fan and to be a part of this community and to mm. to connect with these stories and this beautiful art form i could go on and on as we both yeah, can yeah. <laughs> i hear you so well said it, it just means so much when you get to speak with another person who gets it who gets yeah. the fathoms and the depths of like whoa yeah, yeah, <laughs> wow yeah. so yeah and yeah it's taken me a couple of years like since i started this journey at 26 i'm making up for lost time and i'm just in awe i'm absolutely in awe of like oh wow we get another novel holy crap and oh my gosh the new novel's wonderful how is that possible typically yeah. the longer an artist is working we still love them but we're jamming the old stuff right we're yeah we're jamming right. the yeah. first few albums not really the new stuff but no 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 yeah, like yeah, yeah, we yeah. are holding these later works in such high esteem and yeah it's awesome yeah, it's a great parallel you, you draw there because it is true, actually. You know, it's it's often sometimes, like you said, with music, it can be, I like the early stuff. <laughs> you know, I like the first two albums. And then, you know, sometimes you'll mine some more stuff. Go, oh, yeah, it's okay. But generally it is that thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, the first few albums are great. And then, and with King, yeah, I mean, oh, it just seems to be getting, for, for me, richer. And it's like, and I don't believe he even sat there and went, right, I'm going to write a crime novel. I'm going to try my hand at writing crime. Just the same as when fairy tales coming out this September. Oh, you know, 
I'm going to try writing something fantastical. You know, he's done that already. Eyes of the Dragon, Dark Tower. I just think he just goes where goes or where those characters take him. And that's really exciting, you know, to just go, yeah, you know, I'm not going to just be defined. I'm just going to, right now, this is where I'm at. This is what I want to do. I think any artist that does that, you know, great kudos to them. Right. I'm I'm gonna be there. Yeah. In the yeah, back. Yeah, exactly. Clapping. Yeah, exactly. We'll be there. Go, yep, yeah, fine. Yep, yeah, we got it. Count got me it. in. Don't care <laughs> yeah. what it is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm there. Absolutely. Awesome. So we're gonna start rounding down just a little bit. I have three more good ones for you. Maybe four. Maybe Great. four. I think four. I think yeah, I can yeah, get yeah. four more cool. good ones. So yeah, I'm very gluttonous with this interview because Matt R is the best in the West. So we're thrilled to have him with us. So I'm gonna squeeze this for all I can. <laughs> so you and Simon did an absolutely stellar, beautiful, super in-depth reread of it on the King Size Pod. And it was it's just Thank stellar. You. Everyone should read it or listen to it, read the book, and then of course listen to the breakdown. But I wanted to ask you about rereading King titles, because you've mentioned that you've reread them, you've reread a few a couple of times. So I wanted to ask like about this reread experience and how which ones have got the most rereads or talk about the experience you had with it of really taking your time through each part and what that was like at this time in your life. Yeah, well, again, thank you so much, my lovely friend, for you know your your feedback on being so warm about the episodes because it was a real joy to be able to do it, and it was just great to know that it, it it landed so well. Yeah, it felt really special because we we had a discussion just towards the end of last year, Sai and I, about well, well, you know what it's like, right? You know, putting out content, you know, requires a lot of reading, and then you don't want to just read it and do the headlines you want to go deep yep so it requires a lot of time and, and and a lot of dedication and you know everyone's busy everyone's got stuff going on so you never want it to start to feel like it's a chore or a burden or you're rushing it and so we were like well how are we going to tackle these big books with everything you know jobs families life going on so actually we knew we wanted to tackle one of the big books you know, we'd, we'd not done that yet. And we'd done like two parters for some of the, you know, titles, but often they were like book and then part two was the film or the adaptation. So we looked at it and we thought, well, look, this is a perfect way to do it. Let's break it up. And, you know, it presents itself beautifully in these five different parts. So let's take, you know, five months to do five parts and then we'll do another month on adaptations and then look at the audio book and everything connected to it. Let's really really go deep with it and i have to say i mean it was such a lovely decision to make because we really did go deep and we both i think i speak for size well where we just went let's just read this section and let's not then rush and do it all in one and then you know because we record an episode per month you know when we were doing it so let's just read that section and that's all we'll talk about so it meant we had this laser focus on it and um a friend of mine wrote to the show a guy called paul birch and he's just an amazing like champion and supporter of the show and he's an incredible artist and director and he spoke about it and he said that stephen king's typewriter is both microscope and telescope <gasps> ah! 
need love that one. I I was just like, oh my god, that's just like that's it. I said, can I just take that? And as long as I kind of quote you, I can't give you repeat fees, Paul. Every time I say this, but it's the, it, it just it's the perfect way to sum up it and, and King's writing, and I think it demonstrates that in a way that I can't remember another book doing so much. So reading it now at this stage in my life as an adult, where this is a book that is all about, you know, your childhood and then that journey to being an adult and the trauma that you face and how trauma defines you and the past repeats itself. And as an adult, you sometimes make those missteps that you saw your own parents make and your know, history repeating itself how do you break those shackles and how can you really rewrite your history it's an ode to friendship it's an ode to love it's an ode to to memory as well oh yeah yeah i mean the end uh, you know i you know that the final section where well, you know, throughout the book, we know that they've, you know, they're, when they're not in Derry, their memory dissipates and they can't quite remember each other. And that one phone call kicks it all back and then it all starts flooding back. But at the end of the book, once they've done the steps they need to take to take the action they need to, it's like just these petals falling. It's like their memory just starts to drift and fade and beautiful passage at the end where couple of the guys are talking they're like oh yeah eddie eddie did he what was that what was that with eddie did he have did he have a club foot or was it no i, th- I think he was asthma i think now you know i'm a middle-aged man now and there's plenty of times i sit around with my mates and we're just like oh what's that yeah oh hang on what was the thing that happened where oh god oh my memory <laughs> right you know where your memory plays tricks on you or you lose your memory and you know my you know i've got experience in in my my family of of Alzheimer's, Parkinson's. And, you know, I think it is that thing of so many people, you know, them, they do lose their memories and they lose their mind and they lose their. And for me, that book, especially the end of that book is, is like, that's what it's talking about. You know, it's raging against the dying of the light. It's Bill and Audra going, look, I'm not going to lose you. I'm going to, we're going to tether and anchor each other so that our love and what we hold for each other can break through the loss of our, our memories and break through this cycle of violence and trauma. And we spoke in our last episode about actually that book could be called Survivors. Oh. Oh, it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's like, yes, it's called It and. Pennywise is such a, I mean, such a wonderful, as we've spoken about, wonderful presence. But really, if you're focusing on those, the, the losers club, if you like, you know, they are survivors. And it, it's an ode and I think a, a celebration of anyone who has survived what is not easy. You know, life is not easy and life throws so many things at us and we sometimes we survive it and others sometimes like Stan. You know, yeah. it's just, we, 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 it's too much to bear. And so reading this book as an older man, 
I felt the yearning and the nostalgia for being a child where summer's just stretched up to eternity like a blade. And I remember that fearlessness, you know, that little kid when he says to Bill, you know, <laughs> Bill says to him, oh, um, he's on a skateboard. He says, oh, be careful. And this little kid kind of says, um, oh, dude, you can't be careful on a skateboard. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I remember so clearly, Kim, being that kid that was fearless totally fearless i was like yeah and then becoming older yeah um especially becoming a dad and having responsibilities and having responsibility for a a child with special needs that needs that constant care and attention it makes suddenly you go well i'm still that kid that was carefree and had no fear I'm still I'm still those kids that King writes about, but I'm also different because life needs me to be different. Yeah. And I think in that book, it captures it so beautifully, you know, that yearn, that nostalgia and that what does it mean to be an adult, to be a grown up? And it happens to have an incredibly cool clown (laughs) yeah at an incredible but actually there's no you know it's no surprise that of course pennywise feeds off their fear right and most adults i would say most of us have if we're honest struggles with mental health struggles with anxiety you know life is not easy and whatever that those cards may throw at us so I think we can relate to that, that fear. How do you deal with that fear that's all, all around? And how do you cope with that? Uh, so I think for me, it's a masterpiece. Now, when I read it <laughs> for the first time, when I was like, you know, 14 or so, of course, I'm not going to pick up on that. Oh, yeah. And then I think I, it's my third, third go round. And it was this time that it really, really sunk home. I'm like, yeah, it was just a, this is the masterpiece of studying to the human condition you know so and and I was really grateful that we took the time to do that because I mean there's no way we could have crammed that book into a two-hour episode so I think it set a nice little blueprint for how we might tackle some of those some of his works going forward you know you know just give it that give it that microscope treatment itself Oh, and I'm so thrilled you guys did. And I'm sure a lot of your listeners love it as well, because I loved the quotes you guys chose. And there's these wonderful, like, philosophical nuggets you drop. I don't remember if this was part four or part five, where you talk about, like, what does it mean to grow old? I don't know if that was Mm, Simon. Simon, you said that. And I was like, oh, that's brilliant. And I just thought about that for a good part of my morning. Like, so I'm so glad you guys just did a rich, deep dive. and gave such a huge work that gets so overshadowed by i mean i love it i love the films i love the pop culture references we get i love that this is just so sewn into the fabric of contemporary entertainment like we think of clown we think of pennywise we think of these kids being terrorized but it's so much more than that it's them as adults grappling with the past and it's them stuck in this nightmare and and like we have with stan who i think he's a character who's really really the spotlight on him is just 
especially these modern times where it's like we don't blame him we don't blame him for that path he took and it's makes it even more heartbreaking and poignant when you look at the losers club and and just the notion of friendship and how it's amazing to have friends as tight as we do if you you could probably count on one hand like the close Uh, yeah king goes into that like you just don't have the kind of friends like you did when you were younger yeah yeah so so much good stuff i love what you and simon did with that reread and i'm excited to hear some of the more multiple reread novels because i read lisey's story three times oh yeah, yeah and it was on that third time that i was like okay this is the best um but it took me a minute so I, I'm really glad that you're a rereader. And I think that that's a really cool thing to do is get those rereads in. Yeah. Well, again, for me, because as I said at the beginning, when I'm reading that book, that's all that, that's my universe, you know, kind of on some levels. That's the, he's such a vivid present writer. We, we actually did an interview the other day with this incredible guy, Vincent, who's a, king scholar he's doing a phd on it and he revealed that you know king writes he writes 10 pages ahead that's it so that's why everything feels so present and so oh you know vivid because you're literally in the moment you you only know what's a, a little bit ahead not right to the end and again when i finished his book very very early on uh, after the process a lot of it i can't remember because it's so emotional. I remember how it felt. So the rereads, the majority of them, I'm like, oh, oh, wow. Oh, I forgot that bit. You know, so much of the time it's going, oh, gosh, you know, and, and I think he's, his writing really lends itself to that without in any way being, oh, is it just because he's forgettable? It's not that. It's actually the complete opposite. So we've got three more. Okay. All right, so we're going to throw in a fun one. We're going to throw in a fun one. Cool. So my next question is, if you were to be not trapped on the island, <laughs> like uh, a lot of us constant readers got trapped on, the survivor-type <laughs> island, which is yeah. such an amazing segment on King's Eyes, <laughs> if you were trapped, to be trapped, in any fictional King setting, <sighs> it could be a town, a house, a timeline, where would you like to hang out? <laughs> oh man, again, such oh, I'd love, well, it's a it's a great, great question. Yeah. Um, but you do, you look at it, and you just that, as you know, that neural coupling that happens when you read a book, and you go, oh gosh, I'm feeling it, I'm there, I'm living it. I quite, I, I remember again. I can't remember the specifics, but I remember really digging the idea of under the dome yeah because I, I yeah so i remember and i had to do two reads at that well two, yeah I, I did a first attempt and i was like oh my god there's just too many characters i i'm so lost here <laughs> totally yeah right i just I, I i remember giving up and i was like i'll come back to you when i when i can give it some proper attention then i came back to it and i was like oh man and it was around the time that the <laughs> the simpsons movie came out oh yeah it was do you remember right it was all about the dome so it was (laughs) and i just it was such a you know again he writes multitudes of characters so well from salem's lot to it to, to to under the dome 
I remember just thinking, oh, man, yeah. How would I survive in that situation? What would it be like? So I have moments like that. Also, um, as masochistic as it sounds, like the long walk, for instance. Oh, okay. I remember reading that going, okay, so, you know, how would I do on that? How would I survive? Would I be one of the ones that stops and then, you know, gets shot and killed? Or would I keep going? How would I do? So it's often some of those extreme situations that I think, oh, man, I'd love to just have a little go, see how I manage in that moment. You know, what would it be like? I mean, like if you were, you know, Paul Sheldon and you're there with any, you know, trapped with any Wilkes, you know, those moments, those brief moments where she's out. And you're going, right, come on, come on, come full, go for it right now. Immediately do this, do that. Part of you would love to just see how I'd thrive in those situations. You know, um, I'm very glad I live it remotely through the pages. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. So we got Chester's Mill, Sidewinder, Colorado, and somewhere in Maine where the long walk takes place. So good. Good choices. This one's sort of the the monolith question. This is the big one. I would like to have you tell my listeners what are your favorite, either top three or top five king titles. Oh, wow. I mean, again, it's it's so difficult. I know. It's so like choosing. You can be punk rock and go over five. I don't care. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like choosing the, your favorite kid, which I'm, well, I love you all in different ways. And, <laughs> oh, I mean, so it's interesting. So I have, there's uh, almost because, because of the nature, I love what you do with your show, because again, it is shining the light on some of those works that people might not know, those hidden gems. So in my head, there's almost like there's the, there's the blockbuster kind of top three which would probably for me be 112263 it um for all the reasons i've described wizard and glass but then i'm thinking for for the nature and the spirit of, of the beautiful show that you do i'm going to throw out like three or maybe four or five that i just go i remember reading and going oh wow i felt like i discovered and unearthed something really beautiful yeah Blaze. I love Blaze. I read that quite late, only a couple of years ago. And it's so achingly beautiful and vulnerable and very sad, very, very sad. And again, King doing that thing of working on a number of levels. There's a great plot and a pace and momentum. There's also this incredible kind of sadness to you know, that, that main character. And I remember just reading that feeling real ache when I read Blaze. I really love from a Buick 8. Oh, so good. Yeah. I, I just, I just remember reading that one summer and it just, ca- it just really captured me again, wrong footed me, all these little turning points that happened. So from a Buick 8 is there. Um, uh, Billy Summers, again, I think it is one that I don't know loads of people that have read it. And I've not 
yeah it's interesting sometimes you get a temperature don't you or a sense of the book and I, I, I just think it I think it's an astonishing read um I think it's a really offbeat beautiful beautiful book I put Cujo up there nice. I remember that was a reread that was sensational reading it as a kid you know I'm like oh where's all the bits with you know just as a, a kid you know when I first watched Jaws I remember being a bit like oh I want to see more shark <laughs> where's you know, I want to see more shark more shark more shark these bits here where they just sat around the kitchen table or they sat <laughs> on the boat showing scars that's that oh, that's a bit dull and then obviously as you progress through life you go no 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 that's the genius those are the scenes I want to see. That's the bit the Brody sat around, you know, they're sharing their scars and it's the human studies. And then the terror of seeing the fin and it, the moment the shark's revealed is when it just loses it, you know? So, and it was the same, you know, for me with Cujo when I was a kid, I loved the, you know, the, the Donna being trapped and all of that. And then rereading it, Actually, I'm like, oh, man, you know, it's the suspense of it. And it's the sadness of Cujo. I mean, to be able to write empathically from the point of view of a dog, <laughs> of a St. Bernard, of a rabid St. Bernard, and to be able to get inside the head of that dog, take away every layer of is this a metaphor for addiction is this just purely to be able to write from a dog's point of view i mean wow jesus i mean that's incredible and i mean si and i were just oh we were blubbering we read cujo at the height of last summer and we did our podcast and um we regularly were both kind of <laughs> choked up and just go oh come on man get a grip on yourself amazing yeah, such an emotional read. And, and I think it's one that might just slip under some of those more well-known novels. So I, I would definitely, um, yeah, give a big shout out, a big bark out to that. That's <laughs> Bernard. Yeah. Oh, some stellar picks. Stellar. I cannot wait to read some of the ones that you've mentioned that I haven't yet. Oh, I'm so excited, especially with Blaze and especially with Cujo, because Cujo, I, I always just associate with like a really popcorn, early 80s, kind of just scary romp with this rabid beast dog. And to, to find out that it's so much richer and that it brings people to tears, I'm like, oh my, oh my gosh, I miss that completely. No, but but again, I don't think you miss it. It was how it was kind of sold, you know. That was how, and obviously, without giving too much away, there's a huge difference in the ending of the book and the ending of the movie. And if you love the book, then the ending of the movie is like, what? But again, it's like The Shining. A lot of people that their knowledge of King is Kubrick's The Shining. Now, I hate that film. I hate, I hate the way that Kubrick treats Donna. No, it's not Donna. Um, Wendy. Oh, Wendy. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. The hate, I hate the way, obviously, what he put that actress through. Terrible. Oh, horrific. But, you know, but also how he reduces, you know, Jack Torrance. Jack Torrance is a study in a man struggling with those demons that are just chipping away and slowly losing that grip on reality. And then you got Jack Nicholson turned up to 11 right from the start. Yeah. 
yeah, again, it's a classic example of just, you know, everything's there right from the beginning, turned up to 11. I, I, I remember hearing an interview with um where Mark Commode, the film critic, was talking about um hearing a co- Michael Bolton do a cover of Yesterday by the Beatles. And obviously, <laughs> <laughs> he's just like, you know, you've got the original that's just so beautiful and it's so built up. And then, you know, the Bolton version, you know, within the first moment is Yesterday, oh, my trouble, see <laughs> just, Oh, no. And it's just like, well, you've got nowhere to go. You start at that. You turn that knob up to 11, Spinal Tap style, you've got nowhere else to go with it, right? (laughs) Totally. So you didn't miss it. I really, and a load of people didn't. I think it, you know, the way some of those films, Cujo, Kubrick's The Shining, just took King and just rinsed out all of the nuance and the layers and the vulnerability. That's why I'm always like, okay, forget about that. Go to the book. Always, 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 always go to the book. Yeah, I'm so glad you mentioned that because I was chatting with somebody recently about, they said, oh, well, Jack Torrance is just a shit person. He's just (laughs) like a terrible person. And I was like, "Uh, excuse me, what? No, (laughs) no. Like this guy was trying and trying his best to be a loving father and a good husband. And he was just swallowed by this, this demon of alcoholism, but he has that redemptive ending. And that's why the shining like ends the novel so beautifully the way it does with that redemptive ending for Jack. And so, yeah, I got into a little tiff (laughs) to a a book debate tiff where I was like, how dare you? I refuse. I refuse to let you (laughs) smirch Jack Torrance. Not that I'm, condoning what he did yeah but just just simply and that's what kubrick's film does kubrick's film just flushes him as an irredeemable villain when he is so layered and complex yeah exactly and, and, and that's the thing it's like you know i think the film adaptation dr sleep marks that line a bit better but you know in the book the passage where your older danny you know leaves this little kid you know in this really run down flat steals the food stamps from you know the money from the you know this little kid's mom's wallet and you're just going oh but we meet him at rock bottom and king's going look i'm not gonna sugarcoat this guy you know what he's been through you've seen what happened you've all read the shining right this kid's not just gonna be able to shake that off so you meet him at rock bottom and then you make a choice if you go oh i'm done with you or you go Christ, that is abhorrent, but I know that you hate yourself more than I hate you right now. (laughs) So, you know, with that, then there has to be that moment of, or let's start to walk, let's see if you can walk a bit more into the light, you know? So it's never binary. That's the thing with, with the exception of some of the characters, as we said, like, you know, the Norman Daniels and, and Tom from it. And, you know, some of those characters that are without redemption and are there as a, to serve that purpose, you know, within the plot. Very few of his characters are just binary, aren't you? Know. This is my last question. I love your list of books. So this is this is a fun one. If we were standing in line <laughs> at a Stephen King book signing and we're only allowed one title signed, you can get one Stephen King, which a lot of people have bought it. They've bought like a signature, but it's like, yeah, that's great. Yeah. If you're a collector, that's fine. However, you get one Stephen King book to be signed and personalized by King. 
what is that going to be for you? <laughs> oh, man. I mean, it, I... <laughs> it's impossible. It's really hard. Yeah. And, and it's good. And it's it's you know what? It's right that it should be so hard. Yep. You know, it's right that it should be so difficult because it speaks of the attachment and the love that, that so many of us have with with those books. Oh, God, it's really... <laughs> I think and I know it's interesting. I know a lot of people probably go for maybe that first book that they had. You know, in that case, if it had been that, it would have been Christine for me. But actually, you know what? I am going to go with a book that, as I mentioned earlier on in our interview, earlier on in our palaver, that really brought some light at a dark time. I would take him a big, fat, beautiful copy of Dreamcatcher. Oh, bravo. So good. I would, I would take that. Because I just like, you know what, this, thank you, this really, you know, because I love Wacky King. I love, I, lo- <laughs> I, 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 I've always loved Coked Up King. I've loved Crazy King. I love, I love yeah. the Tommy, I love the Tommy Knockers, you know, because I just, again, my memory of that, Kim, is just, you know, being young, sitting in a park with a few beers and a packet of 20 Marlborough and just... <laughs> Uh, and, a, and a hardback copy of the Tommy Knockers. And I was an only child and I just was there just going, I felt like the coolest kid in the world because yeah. I had this world I fell into. And and that's the thing I've never been. I'm not a book critic. I'm not an author critic. I, I do a podcast, but it comes from a place of, look, oh my God, what you write. I, it's just, it, yeah, it has the power to save people's lives. And that's why I would never... You know, I'm always loath to kind of slag off what, a book too much because I just think, well, actually, that that book, Cell or Dreamcatcher, that might really hold a dear place to someone, you know. Um, and I know I've slagged off some films on here, but again, you you have your darlings, don't you? And for me, it's the written word. You know, I, I, I'd pick books above music, films, anything, because when you've got a book, King is laying it all out there, but... I picture what my dairy looks like in my head will be different from what your dairy looks like. We've probably got a rough idea based on King's writing of what Ben might look like and Bev and Bill, but they're going to be little differences because you're the director of it, right? You're the person casting it. And that's the thing. Whenever I, with a book, you can collaborate in a way that you can't in any other medium, I think. So that's for me why the written word's always going to be King on many levels oh my gosh round of applause so good so good well this has been such an amazing constant reader interview thank you so much the time has flown i can't (laughs) believe it but can you tell everybody what you and simon are up to the rest of summer or into the rest of the year like what do you have going on and where can we find you yeah, sure. Well, listen, it's just been such a thrill to reconnect with you. I mean, we were so lucky to have you on our Survivor type episode, you know, and then I know, you know, when you interviewed Sai and having me here as well on, on, on your Constant Reader interview, it's just been a real, real joy and, and real healing on, on so many levels. So thank you for that. Um, you know, we are 
such big fans of, of what you do. Um, for us, for me and Sai, so we, we've still got a few loose ends to do with it. So we've got an episode coming out with this uh, incredible it scholar who really, really goes deep into what it was like corresponding with Stephen King and seeing first drafts. So really lovely, a lovely big deep dive to that. Oh, love it. Yeah, it's, it's really cool. We're going to cast our eye on the adaptations as well. And also the audiobook because it is, I think, the greatest audiobook I've ever heard. Stephen Weber doing it. It's phenomenal. Yeah, watch this space regarding hopefully some news on, on, on audiobooks. And then I think once we've finished our stroll through Derry, then we're going to look at, yeah, where we go next. Love it. And at the moment, it's, yeah, we're, we're just, we've got a few titles that we're battle, you know, batting around back and forth. Um, so, but we're just so grateful for all the support and, and the listeners. And I think I've mentioned to you before when people just write in and just say they feel real comfort and it's taken them away from, you know, some of the stresses of everyday life just for 60, 90 minutes, you know, and you know what that's like with, with your beautiful podcast. You feel like you're, you're really doing something that can help. As, as well as be great fun to record and listen to and you can find us yeah king size podcast we're on spotify uh itunes all the major platforms and anchor as well so yeah and we're on instagram at king size podcast so do check us out oh my gosh matt once more i wish you and simon every success i am a huge fan of your show and the work you do thank you for all the time you've given this was so stellar you are a kindred spirit King fan, very close to my heart. So we will be in touch in the future. You are welcome back anytime. Anytime you, you want to talk about anything, anytime you want to rant about anything, vent <laughs> about anything, you and Simon are most welcome back anytime. This was such a treat. So everyone tune into King Size. I'll be listening right along with you. We can chat about it as fans. But thank you, Matt, and we'll see you soon. My pleasure. Thank you so much. All right, everyone. Thank you all very much for listening to my constant reader interview with Matt R. from King Size. Isn't he the best? I know. My heart. Matt makes me so happy and I love the work that he and Simon put out together. So if you haven't already discovered them, the King Size podcast has the year of underrated Stephen King's full endorsement. So please check them out. You will totally enjoy it. Their show is layered, deep, very cheeky at times, but especially for all you IT fans out there, of which there are many. They really do an incredible job giving that work a spectacular spotlight and laser beam focus, and it's just wonderful to plug in with. Please make sure both Matt and Simon are a part of your pod rotation, and I really look forward to when we can all hang out again in the future and chat more King. That's all I have for this episode, my loves. Per usual, if you're enjoying the show and haven't said hello yet, please do so at underratedsk at gmail. I so look forward to chatting with you all now that I have a break between classes and I can breathe for a second and finish the last half of Wizard and Glass and mop up all my tears that I know are coming. I know King is just gonna kill me with this one. 
but I would love to hear from all of you. So please say hello and let me know where you're writing from, what the weather's like, because for my Aussies, it's brawly season and it's chilly, whereas other places we are roasting like Sunday chickens. Yes, we are. And if you haven't already, please make sure you share the show with a friend and fellow King fan or someone who's into books or brand new to King who might enjoy this. And if you would be so kind, my birthday's coming up, please head over to Apple Podcasts and give the show a five star so we can pop up with greater frequency and make some more friends. All right, everyone, I'm off to finish Wizard and Glass. Wherever you are in the world, take care and I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.